0: Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to MyTake Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to Stitcher.com forward slash MyTake, and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter MyTake, all one word, in the promo box, and you'll be eligible to win $100, courtesy of Radio and Stitcher MTR live starts right now this coverage is live and uncensored so if you have any small children present you may want to have them leave the room going on guys welcome to my take radio episode 178 for thursday april 4th 2013 our call number is 347-324-3541 again that call in number 347-324-3541 all right so slick is telling me that there's issues with um some sort of audio i don't know if it's blog talk radio or us or whatever but as far as I know, things are running a little clear, so it's uh, it's been a week, took a week off and getting back in the saddle and as usual, come back after a short layoff, sometimes I'm a little rusty, sometimes I'm not, so in either case, uh, it's going to be a, an interesting show this evening. Well, first things first, last week, of course, I really wanted to do the show Thursday night, got out of work, ready to rock and roll. And for some reason, fate worked in such a way that Thursday was probably the most hellacious day I've had outside of the radio show in a long time. Between work and personal and tons of other shit, it just, it just completely fell apart to the point where I leave work usually and I take roughly two and a half to three hours to do show prep. Um, and what ends up happening is get home at like 9.30, with an hour and a half to do show prep, splitting migraine, shitty day, so I decided to hell with it, no show, recharge, come back, and be ready to give you guys some, some great radio this week, so that's what ended up happening, I know a lot of people messaged me, and they were like, hey man, you know, everything okay, everything fine, everything was good, just, just burned out, shit happens, you know, but we're ready to, to get right into it this week, and we got lots to discuss, just a quick reminder, for those of you that are listening to the show via Blog Talk Radio, you can also listen to it by using the call-in number 347-324-3541. Just don't press option one, and you can listen to the show that way. Another option is if you go to mytakeradio.com and you click to the listen button, you'll be able to listen via Mixler. Uh, Andrew Zarian is listening in the Mixler chat, host of Matt Man, and of course, owner of the GS of the GFQ Network. Shout out to Andrew tuning in tonight on the mixler side of things. Anyway, so like I said, a lot happened. We got a ton of stuff on the site, which it it's I'm so back I'm so backlogged with stuff, guys. There's movie reviews to do, giveaways to do, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So we're gonna try and plow through most of that this weekend. Um hopefully I'll be able to go check out Evil Dead this weekend and throw up a review for that. I know a lot of you guys enjoyed the GI Joe review. I got some video for the new injustice game that I've rendered and I just got to record some commentary. So that'll hopefully be up tonight as well. A quick reminder. I did want to remind you guys that are getting the show via stitcher. Make sure you update your stitcher apps because they're doing a lot of enhancements, especially on the Android side. And I got to also thank those of you that are getting the show via stitcher because our numbers have been going up quite a bit and we really appreciate it. Also, a lot of you now are, using YouTube on Xbox live to listen to the shows when we put them on our YouTube channel, which is my ta- uh, youtube.com forward slash my take radio TV. So you'll be able to check it out that way as well. Usually those are up within 24 hours after the show is edited and they go right on the channel. You can listen to them right on Xbox live or via your Android devices. So those are just a couple of ways you can listen to the show. Obviously iTunes, uh, blog talk radio, all the usual outlets, but wanted to touch on those because people have been asking as of late. Uh, shout out to Brian Monroe that showed up in the Mixler chat. Um, I'm not, I'm trying to multitask, so if I don't type right away in the Mixler chat, it's just because I'm also handling the Blog Talk Radio chat. Figured I'd let you guys know that. I uh, wanted to thank all of you that are checking on get glue. Notice those numbers went up the last two weeks. We are on get glue. Hopefully eventually someday we'll get some stickers on there, but until then, thank you all for the check-ins. That's really great stuff. Recorded a brand new MTR beyond the mic with Jason David Frank. A lot of you may know him as the green Ranger, red Ranger, white Ranger, uh dino thunder Ranger, but he is also a mixed martial artist and a Guinness book world record holder. We actually recorded our interview last week, and it was available exclusively on the MTR app, which if you don't have it, you can get via the Amazon Marketplace, or you can get it on iTunes for iOS devices. It's $1.99, get 96k stereo episodes of the show, plus exclusive stuff like MTR Beyond the Mic and MTR Behind the Mic. Anyway, our interview has been well-received. I'm very, very excited with actually having a chance to interview a guy who I'm a fan of and share some of his personal stuff and some of his projects with you guys. That's already available on the app, but it's also now available to the general public. So those of you without the app can check that out as well. We also re recorded an interview, uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night with the director of the wonder woman short film that has been making its way around YouTube lately. Probably one of the best representations of wonder woman I've ever seen. And the director was just a cool dude. And, I was amazed that he's done so much other stuff in the film industry, and he's also a stuntman working in so many films that I've seen. That interview will be available on the app most likely this weekend once the editing is done, and we will start releasing that publicly probably within the next two weeks. Um, I also got a request to start putting our interviews on YouTube, so interviews with um, Andrew Zarian, uh, some of our Beyond the Mic interviews, All of those are going to start going on the YouTube channel. For those of you that have missed out on those, you can check those out as well. All right, so let's get a little bit into what we're going to be talking about tonight. Obviously, WrestleMania is big on everyone's mind since that's going down this Sunday. Uh, I want to talk about this past Thursday's Ultimate Fighter, a little bit about Raw, some TNA Impact stuff. We also went to the House of Glory wrestling show this past Saturday. Myself, Slick, Andrea, we also caught up with our very own Jay Santee. John Blade went with us. It was a fun night, and I want to get into that as well. But before I get into any of that, I actually want to talk about, and you know, this is kind of the, the monologue for this week, of course. Earlier today, I posted on the Facebook fan page about the passing of Roger Ebert. Now, when I was in high school, I went to John Bound High School here in Flushing, in New York City, and one of the classes I took senior year... Um, part of my junior year and my senior year was film study. Now, the problem with taking a film study course, for those of you that have never taken one, is that when you learn all the nuances of film, the good, the bad, and and the ugly side of things, you tend to not enjoy movies as much. And that was one of the things that kind of ruined me um, now as an adult when I watch movies because either I can dissect what's going to happen, if it's a movie where it has a killer, I can figure out who the killer is halfway through it, Etc. Etc. things like that. Just, I pick apart the movies sometimes way too much and don't get to enjoy them. And it's a gift and a curse when you take film study in school. Same thing for those of you that do acting, things like that. Once you learn the inner workings of it, same thing with those of you guys that listen to the show that do wrestling, whether it's independent or professional, you guys know you pick apart things immediately. So one of the things that they made us watch a lot of was Siskel and Ebert and, we watched a lot of their reviews, we sampled a lot of their stuff in class for conversations, and the crazy thing was that I I found myself, I'd like to say 75% of the time, thinking that Siskel and Ebert were complete assholes. I will admit that. And the reason I did is because a lot of times they didn't they didn't like movies that I liked, or movies that I thought were awesome they thought sucked, and you know, you're young and impressionable, so you you think, you know, the older guys don't know shit, but as I got older, I started to really get an appreciation for what they did, and of course, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, these guys, all they did was give movies thumbs up and thumbs down, they graded movies, but no, it's really deeper than that. They actually were instrumental in me learning how to formulate opinions on film. That was one of the things that we learned in, in school at the time. Think about this. I watch a movie... Slick watches a movie. Um, Dark Helmet, who's in the chat, watches a movie. Um, Culmination, who's been in the chat, watches a movie. We all watch a movie. All of us walk into a room and start talking about it. And I say to those guys, hey, I think this movie sucks. And they respond with, well, why do you think it sucks? Oh, I don't know. It was just, it was was terrible. That's not the kind of answer you want to give. See, what I learned from that is just, being able to explain your opinions and give people insight into why you think a movie is good or a movie is bad. What, what you really enjoyed, what were some of the high points and low points. It it was really all about intelligent argument. Uh, Like I said, a case can be made that, Oh, these guys, all they did was grade movies. It was, it was definitely deeper than that, especially for me, since that was something I took in school. You know, it was, it was, it was touching to see, and especially a guy who died at the age of 70 battled, Thyroid and salivary cancer in 2002 had his lower jaw removed and continued doing what he loved is is ridiculous. The guy the guy's a warrior. Think about it. You're sitting at home right now. You have your your face, you you know, you look at it every morning. Now, imagine half of that face missing and you not not having the, the strength to go out there and be in front of the public and continue doing your job as best as you can. The guy, the guy had bigger balls than most people I know. And I think it's bigger than just a thumbs up and a thumbs down. It's just an appreciation for film that he instilled just him. And, and, you know, of course, Gene Siskel at the time were, you know, things that were instrumental for me as, like I said, as a, as a young kid watching movies and, and learning the nuances of it. And a lot of the teachings from those guys reflect in some of the reviews you guys read on the site, some of the stuff we talk about here on air. So, you know, my condolences to Roger Ebert's family. The guy was a tremendous asset to the movie industry and he will be missed by many. All right. So, uh, yeah, I was I was a little bummed out. I was not choked up, but definitely bummed out about his passing. Um. Anyway, let's switch gears, go into a little bit of uh, the usual stuff we got to talk about. I want to get the ball rolling with some MMA because... The Ultimate Fighter this past Tuesday was ridiculous, and I want to discuss that and some of the other MMA news, so with that said, let's get the ball rolling. So the ultimate fighters rapidly, rapidly approaching its end. Of course, the finals will also include the coaches fighting John Jones and Chael Sonnen will be meeting. They'll be fighting in Jersey. And we had two quarterfinal fights this episode. And we also had a little bit of uh, interesting, interesting developments with Gilbert Smith, who was on the show recently and it's, it's interesting to me what's going on because we're starting to get a little bit more of the I, I want to say not the dramatic side of things but we're starting to get more of the of the personalities coming out as the season winds down and the funny thing is that we got the two quarterfinal fights which I kind of predicted both outcomes at first glance just because I've seen the way the, the guys fought in pre uh, the way the guys fought in previous fights and I kind of figured, that they were going to rely on their strengths going in, especially um, in the case of Jimmy Quinlan and Josh Salmon, who uh, Josh Salmon is from Team Jones, Jimmy Quinlan from Team Sonnen. Uh, You know, Josh Salmon has tremendous, tremendous stand-up. I really, really like the guy's stand-up. Definitely goes in there. He's very aggressive. In his fight with Jimmy Quinlan, uh, a little bit of a back and forth, but definitely he was the aggressor. Um, at one point, um, when Josh got on, you know, he got on Jimmy Quinlan and he landed some Sakuraba style double punches to the head. And it was crazy because it's not, it's not every day you get to see somebody kind of tap out due to strikes, but it was, it was interesting to see the way the fight went because, you know, Jimmy Quinlan did take him down, but Josh Salmon, the striking, he landed some tremendously impressive punches on the standup and this is the same thing that i've said before from previous fights you know josh salmon has he's got heavy hands and he really just broke jimmy quinlan's will which was you know it was it like i said a solid performance but this performance went i i you know if i hadn't watched the second quarterfinal fight i would have been like oh you know that that was a, a solid performance the way it went for the quarterfinal fight with Uriah Hall and Team Sonnen uh, from Team Sonnen and Bubba McDaniel's was ridiculous. Uriah Hall, of course, he has the the legendary KO now, legendary status KO from this season. Everybody lost their mind when they saw that KO because he pretty much flattened the guy. So Dana White's been extolling the virtues of Uriah Hall throughout the season. You know, the guy's a killer. Dudes are afraid to fight him, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's real crazy stuff, but I think Dana White's hype machine was totally validated with this fight. Uriah Hall went in with Bubba McDaniels. Uh Bubba came in with a knee, and then no, correction. Um Uriah caught Bubba coming in with a knee, and then he caught him with a with a punch that I, I almost want to say was a glancing blow. At which point Bubba McDaniel shot in for the takedown and it was over. I don't know. He hit a Uriah Hall hit him so quick that the guy's consciousness just left before he even hit the ground. When the guy was done, he was like, Man, I can't see out of my eye. It turns out, and I haven't I haven't verified this completely, but based on what they're saying, Uriah Hall broke the guy's face in three places, which is insane. I'm trying to, I'm, I've been trying to find out if that is 100% true, but to break a person's face in three places is ridiculous. Like I've seen people shatter, uh, people have their orbital socket shattered either from a car accident or even in fights, and it is a, a devastating injury. If you look at when Josh Koscheck fought GSP and his eye got injured, it was just tremendous. To To break a guy's face in three places is... It's, it's ridiculous, it's unheard of, and it's just insane. Obviously, Uriah Hall, there's a lot riding on the guy, and his profile has been increased, not only because of the show, but I've been seeing him, you know, he's been training with Ronda Rousey, he's been showing up at a lot of events, so you know Uriah Hall is probably a shoe in to, to take the finals, depending on who he faces, but I will say this, the guy's got to stay humble. I mean, he's definitely feeling himself a little bit, but you know, when you break a guy's face and you knock another guy's consciousness into another dimension, you have the grounds to really start feeling yourself. It is what it is, but it's, um, it tripped me out because to do that, it's, um, it's just ridiculous to be able to do that. I was like, holy crap. I've, I've never, ever, ever seen perform a performance like that on any season, I mean, there are guys that they come in, they do a, a knockout that's of epic proportions, then there are other guys that come in, and they just have uh, a tremendous season from start to finish. But Uriah Hall came out from 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 the jump just really hurting guys, which is is earning him a lot of fans. I like him. I like the fighting style he has. He comes in there. He's super aggressive. Um, I am a fan of Gilbert Smith, not even because he's been on the show, but, uh, you know, the, the guy uh, guys that come out of wrestling... And make the the jump to mixed martial arts. I become a fan of even if people feel that they're you know lay and pray or sprawl and brawl. Um, back still is that people that that have that dedication, that wrestling dedication, they they usually impose their will on you, their will on you when it comes to the ground. Unless you're an accomplished Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, Uriah Hall hasn't even taken his fight to the ground, and this is a guy who's been tapped out. By Ronda Rousey on the regular and he's even said it himself so it should be interesting to see his development as a fighter and I'm really really intrigued to see how he fares in the UFC post ultimate fighter we shall see what happens all right so switching gears we got to get into a lot of MMA news this week first up for those of you that are huge fans of the UFC fan expo you know it's been a while they really haven't been doing them I don't I don't know why because they generate a ton of money. Well, fear not, the UFC Fan Festival will be back in Vegas July 5th and 6th, leading up to UFC 162. If you want to attend the expo, the tickets are going to run you 40 bucks for July 5th and $45 for July 6th. But if you want to attend both days, they got a deal where you can get both days for $60. So I really, really am looking forward to the UFC coming to New York because the UFC fan expo in New York, especially at the Javits would be tremendous. So if you're in Vegas and you get to attend the UFC fan expo, I silently hate you, but um, of course all in good fun, but UFC fan expo from what everybody's told me is a tremendous experience. You meet all the fighters. You get to have a lot of FaceTime with them, spend some time with them, learn some techniques, attend some seminars, all great stuff. So when the UFC comes to New York, which I hope is soon, Hopefully, we will get a fan expo as well. Switching gears in regards to the chopping block. Yes, we got some fighters on the chopping block. MMA Junkie reported that four fighters got cut from the UFC following their losses at UFC 157 Josh Neer, Carlos Fedor, John Manley, all cut. Neer actually returned to the UFC in 2011 for his fourth run, he had four straight wins after his initial release, and he came in, he was doing good, he scored a TK over um, Keith Wisniewski, choked out Dwayne Ban Ludwig, but then he suffered three straight losses, Mike Pyle, Justin Edwards, and Court McGee, which he lost by decision at UFC 157. Brock Jardine um, was actually submitted in the first round of his fight by Kenny Robertson on the prelims. And um, this is his second loss after losing his debut in 2000 in June 2012 to Rick Story. Manly reached the semifinals of Ultimate Fighter season 16, but he lost via unanimous decision to Colton Smith. At UFC 157, he lost via unanimous decision to Neil Magny. So that was uh, a factor in him getting cut. Carlos Fedor was 5 and 0 in Strike Force, but he got submitted by Pat Healy in their fight in March. Um, He went to the UFC after Strikeforce closed, but then, of course, lost by split decision to Sam Stout. So, this is fresh off the heels of the 16-fighter purge in February. Of course, like I've said, Dana White is looking to make 100 cuts in 2013. So, people gotta go out there and put on impressive performances. Otherwise, they will be on the chopping block. In some injury news, C.B. Dalloway had to withdraw, uh, is out of his fight with, uh, Cesar Ferreira for UFC on FX 8. Chris Camozzi will be stepping in to replace him. That card goes down May 18th in Brazil. Of course, the main card will air on FX and the prelims will air on Fuel TV and Facebook. Now, speaking of injuries, which they're always terrible, but when they're very close to an event, it can really make or break the event's success. In this case, this Saturday, we have UFC on Fuel TV 9 which is free and it's in Stockholm, Sweden and originally it was supposed to be Gegegard Mousasi taken on Alexander Gustafsson. Um it turns out that Gustafsson was forced to withdraw because he sustained a cut during training. Now his training partner Elia, Il- um wow, I'm going to mess up this guy's name. Elir Latifi, I think it is. Yeah, I think it's Le- I think it's Elier Latifi. If I'm wrong, I apologize. Anyway, um Ilir Latifi stepping in in his place, he is Gustafsson's training partner he's coming in with a record of 7 and 2 and 1 no contest and he will be Gagegard Musashi's opponent for the main event on Fuel TV. Also on that card, Ryan Couture will be taking on Ross Pearson, Philip DeFries is taking on Matt Mitrione, Mike Easton is taking on Brad Pickett, Diego Brandao is facing Pablo Garza, Akira Khorasani is taking on Robert, Robert Peralta, and then the prelims of course on Facebook, Michael Johnson is taking on Reza Madadi, Adam Sell is taking on Tour Troang, I always mess up that guy's name. Adlin Amagoff is taking on Chris Sprang. Marcus Brimage and Connor McGregor will be locking up on the prelims on Facebook. Ben Alloway and Ryan LaFleur. Uh, Michael Keeper is taking on Tom Lawler. And Pappy Abedi is taking on Bassam Youssef. Those prelims, like I said, are on Facebook. And of course, the main card will be on Fuel TV this Saturday. So make sure to check that out. But tomorrow, there's another card that depending on what kind of an MMA fan you are, you may not be aware of, and that's the Invicta FC card, which is, of course, the women's MMA promotion headed by Shannon Knapp. These ladies, every every card they do is tremendous from start to finish. Um, Invicta FC 5 is going down tomorrow, and it's going to be streamed on iPay-Per-View and also via Ustream. It's pro- I believe it's going to be nine ninety nine, and there's going to be a ton of great fights on there. The main card, um, you have two title fights, uh, Jessica Penny and Michelle Waterson are going to be meeting for the Adam weight title. Um, Barb Honchak is taking on Vanessa Porto, and that's going to be an inaugural flyweight title fight. Uh, Chris Cyborg is going to be taking on Fiona Muxlow. Sarah Kaufman's on that card, taking on Leslie Smith. Zoila frosto Grigel will be debuting on the promotion, taking on Jennifer Maya. Lauren Taylor is going to be meeting Caitlin Young. Julia Budd is going to be taking on Molly Estes, and Jaminka Saiv is going to be taking on Beck Hyatt, which I'm really looking forward to see. Uh, looking forward to seeing Beck Hyatt. Definitely fun to watch. The prelims will be free, and that's ha- that. Actually has some great fights as well, including um, Pat Barry's girlfriend Rose Namajunas. She'll be taking on uh, Kath- Kathina Citron. Also, Jessamyn Duke is going to be taking on Miriam Nakamoto, and there's a couple of other fights on the prelims as well. Like I said, the ladies take center stage tomorrow, and you can watch that on iPay-Per-View. Trust me. These ladies, every Invicta card I've seen, they go out there and they give 110%, and, we, and we're getting serious, striking, brawling, wrestling, and submissions from the ladies. So give them a shot. It's probably going to run you 10 bucks, but it'll be 10 bucks well spent. The UFC also are giving the ladies center stage as... Alexis Davis and Rosie Sexton will be meeting at UFC 161. That's going down June 15th at the MTS center in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. So on that card, you got a couple of really, really great fights. Hennem Burrell is going to be defending his interim bantamweight title against Eddie Wineland. Of course, um, Antonio Nogueira is going to be taking on Shogun. Rashad Evans is taking on Dan Henderson. Pat Barry's taking on Sean Jordan, Jake Shields and Tyron Woodley. Sam Stout and Isaac Valley Flag. Uh Stepe Miochik is taking on Soa Palelei, Ryan Jimmo and Igor Prokryats. Sam Pearson, Anthony Wahlberger, which is probably going to be a, a pretty solid fight. Eve Jabuan and Dustin Page, And like I said, Alexis Davis is taking on Rosie Sexton. I'm actually really looking forward to this card just to see Rashad and Dan Henderson. I mean, Rashad, he's got good stand-up. It feels like it's been ages since I've seen Rashad fight, and we're going to see if he can survive a direct hit from the H-Bomb. Also, Pat Barry, I'm a huge Pat Barry fan. His fight with Sean Jordan should be tremendous. I'm really looking forward to that. And, of course, Nog and Shogun are probably going to go out there and give us a nice war. Like I said, mark it down on your calendar. June 15th, UFC 161. All right, that's going to wrap up MMA news for this week. We got a lot of wrestling to cover. So, without any further ado, let's get into it. We
1: want the gold, sucker! Oh, Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! Sierra. Yeah. India. Echo. Lima. You.
0: So we have a ton to discuss on the wrestling side of things. First off, let's get into Monday Night Raw for this week. And um I got to say for a raw leading up to the largest pay-per-view of the year I had I w- I was kind of torn on how I felt about it. I felt that some aspects of it were really good. Some aspects of it were, eh, you know, I mean Cena's promo work at at the at the top of the show was I, I think it was okay, I kind of felt that the crowd really just destroyed Cena and didn't allow him to really get the promo out there the way it should have, but I do have to commend Cena for kind of reacting on the fly and clowning the crowd a little bit, because you can see it in certain aspects of what he was doing in the promo, because he knew he was getting under the crowd's skin. Now, a lot of people are, are are chomping at the bit, hoping and praying that we get a Cena heel turn at WrestleMania, I want to get into that a little bit later on, but regardless of what the outcome is, I think the whole Cena tweener face run has kind of run its course, in my opinion. But we'll get a little bit, and we'll get more into that a little bit later. The first contest of the night had Sheamus, Randy Orton, and the Big Show pretty much destroy the three MB. I really feel bad for those poor bastards, just because they're not talented i mean they're not talentless excuse me they're not talentless i was gonna say they're not talented they are they are they all have their pluses i mean i've heard i've heard great things from all those guys and their work in the minor leagues it's just i don't understand why they're not doing more with them considering all the energy they put into putting those guys together i think honestly look at a guy like Drew McIntyre. He came in, tremendous fanfare, and then he just got swept under the rug. You put him in three MB. Eh, you know, there there wasn't really a, a total story about why they brought brought him in there or, you know, um it it just it just didn't work. It really didn't work. Same thing, you know, Heath Slater by himself. I think Heath Slater by himself would be a solid mid card talent. And putting him in a few I mean, putting him in a group would have been fine if the group kind of moved forward I mean he's not he's not a terrible wrestler gender Mahal is is a I, I kind of want to put a question mark over him and I'll tell you why because he here's a guy who everybody says his work in the minor leagues has been tremendous his work his heel tactics have been great he's a great foreign heel and even though like I've always said you know the racial overcoats you take the guy who's Arabic and you make him automatically the elitist Arab Sultan gimmick is is a separate issue. I, I commend them for at least putting him in 3MB and kind of not having him wear the turban all the time when he comes out with those guys, because honestly, it looks fucking stupid. But in any event, the match itself was a glorified squash. It did nothing for 3MB. All it did was get Sheamus, Randy Orton, and The Big Show over and, you know, in route to their match with The Shield, which, again, it's... It, I understand where it was going, but we've seen this match a dozen times sacrificing these poor bastards to to these three guys. We know where it's going. They don't need to be, they don't need anything to get over going into their match. Of course, the Shields music hits. That's why I used it actually for the bumper for this week's show. And as usual, you know, you get the Hounds of Justice come out, Rollins does his thing, and Dean Ambrose again on the mic is tremendous. If there's one breakout guy from the shield, it is Ambrose. And a lot of people say to me, Oh, well, you know, Dean Ambrose looks real generic. Trust me. There's more to Ambrose than meets the eye. There's so many subtle nuances and, and so many little things and so many little mannerisms that he does that just go unnoticed by the untrained eye that it would boggle your mind. If you rewatched, you know, the last couple of weeks of raw and SmackDown and you really took a closer look, I think, that's one of the things that makes Ambrose stand out. He's a throwback to the old school. When he comes down, and usually, I'd like to say 90% of the time, usually comes down with Rollins. You can see that when people are interacting with him, he kind of doesn't want to be touched, and he kind of has like this real creepy look to him. A lot of people compare him, his mannerisms and the way he conducts himself to the Joker, which I, I think there's definitely shades of that in his character but I think Ambrose when he when he breaks off on his own is going to be a tremendous tremendous heel next up we got Daniel Bryan taking on Dolph Ziggler of course foregone conclusion how this is going to end of course more build-up to their match at Wrestlemania now here's the thing I have to say about this we all know that Big E and Ziggler will be facing Bryan and Kane for the tag team titles we also know that AJ Lee has beef with Caitlyn. They never said anything about a women's title match at WrestleMania. May happen, may not. Who knows? But I will say this. Why not put all the belts on the line, Daniel Bryan, Kane, and Caitlyn taking on Dolph Ziggler, Big E, and AJ and have all those belts get won. The tag belts and AJ gets the women's title. Why not? It adds a little bit more to Dolph Ziggler's character. It kind of brings that that feud with AJ and Caitlyn to you know to the mainstream. It allows all the talent to get ring time at WrestleMania, and and it just works. It's just common sense. The reason being because Caitlyn, you can you can kind of group her in there with Daniel Bryan and Kane. It's not tough. It's really not. And AJ Lee, she's from Jersey. Let her compete in front of her home crowd. And besides, letting her compete in that match will allow each of those guys to, to take a break. And like I said, give the ladies a little time to show off their skills in front of a WrestleMania crowd. If there's one thing that I've said annoys me more is the fact that if you have all these belts, they should all be defended on pay-per-view, period. You want to throw in one or two filler matches, that's fine. But I feel every belt needs to be defended on pay-per-view. Otherwise, the validity of the titles means absolutely nothing. Think about it. You got your IC champion, your US champion. You got tag team titles, which are unified. You got your women's belt. You got your world heavyweight title. And you got your WWE title. Right there is exactly the right number of matches you would need for any pay-per-view. But no, we 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 go and we do all this other stuff. Seriously, your your US title and your IC belt, those guys, if we use old school booking, we all know that those two belts usually signified that those champions were guys that were number one contenders practically in the making. I remember going way back to the WWF days. When you were the IC champion, you were practically the number one contender for the main event slot. That's how it worked. Those guys would usually challenge for the belt either after dropping the IC belt or in some instances, maybe they'd try to challenge for the big belt while still IC champion. Why that logic doesn't exist nowadays is beyond me. Because think about it. Your, your number two guys are your U.S. title and your IC title. Both guys should be number one contenders to challenge for the big belts. Simple as that. It writes itself. I'm not saying to go crazy and create rankings and and all this other bullshit, but just on paper, it makes sense. Think about it. You take a guy like Antonio Cesaro, who we all know is is a talented competitor, a tremendous wrestler, does his job in the ring. Why? I'm not saying now at Mania post WrestleMania, why shouldn't he make a case for himself as a number 1 contender on the SmackDown brand with by being US Champion. Same thing with the IC title. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying put the belt on Wade Barrett, but Wade Barrett should be another guy that should get that that slot. He should get that slot to to challenge for the belt given his ten, you know, his run with the IC title. Again, old school booking, but booking that logically makes sense. Anyway, we get our, um, you know, our 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 main event teaser with you know Shawn Michaels and typical WrestleMania, blah blah blah, Triple H, Brock Lesnar. That's what that was, and the reason I say that is because we all know what happens. WrestleMania comes around. Triple H gets in a feud with X Guy. Shawn Michaels comes out there with his brand new hairline, his slightly sleepy eye, and his cowboy hat. And he's like, listen, man, you're going to go out there and you're going to get yourself killed and blah, blah, blah. And you don't got to do that. And I'm like, all right, all right, all right. We got it. We got it. Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania, Triple H. We got it. I kind of felt that Shawn Michaels' involvement in this particular instance is just not necessary. I'm sure it's going to end with Paul Heyman possibly eating sweet, sweet chin music this Sunday, but seriously, you don't need it. You don't. Now, with regards to Triple H's retirement from this match, that's something I'll get into when we discuss WrestleMania. It's, I have I have my opinions on it. I don't even want to talk about poor Wade Barrett and Zack Ryder, because as soon as Zack Ryder hits, Zack Ryder's music hits, I know that there's nothing good Coming from it. On the contrary, every Zack Ryder match is pretty much this for me.
1: Oh my god! Ah! 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 Oh, that's better. Ah! 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 Uh.
0: Yeah, that's, that's every Zack Ryder match for me. You want to know why? Because Zack Ryder invested so much energy into himself to make himself a household name, and nothing happens. Nothing. On the contrary, he just gets jobbed out left and right. Nothing. No good feuds, no runs with secondary belts, nothing. It's just, hi, go out there and get jobbed to this guy this week. Hi, go out there and get job to this other guy this week. Oh, look, Wade Barrett needs an opponent. Go ahead, Zach, go out there and get your ass kicked. And the funny thing with that is that Zack Ryder's not a shitty wrestler. His gimmick works. The crowd loves him. He sells merchandise. What is going on? Is it because he complains? Is it because he occasionally whines? Maybe he didn't let Pat Patterson give him the push. And, and I'm not talking about the push on the mid card. I'm talking about the other push. Seriously. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand. I mean, sure, he's a little vocal and sometimes he gets a little out of hand with his complaining. But seriously, I sell merch. The crowd likes me. I have a catchphrase. What the fuck am I doing wrong? I'd be pissed off too. And Santino, well, Santino's gimmick at this point is. Pretty much, he is modern-day Barry Horowitz. Just go out there and get your ass kicked for for the crowd. It's all good. And besides, it's Mark Henry, and that's what I do! That's what Mark Henry does. He goes out there, he sweats on you profusely, I might add, and then he just pins you and yells, that's what I do, and walks to the back and has a sandwich. Simple as that. Meanwhile, Ryback comes out, and poor, poor Santino, just the... He he was just the 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 instrument with which Ryback bludgeoned Mark Henry. So just no love for Santino, Alberto Del Rio. I'm I'm gonna tell you, and it pains me to admit it, but he's he's stepping his game up on the face side. I've always said Ricardo Rodriguez makes his character work, and Del Rio's starting to come into his own. The crowd is really starting to feed off of him again. He's no Eddie Guerrero. He's he's no he, nowhere near. The late Eddie Guerrero. It'll take him years to get to that level, but he's, he's being embraced by the public. I'm seeing more Del Rio signs. I'm seeing, you know, Alberto! And everybody's singing along with it. You know, all that shit. Everybody, you know, Damas y Caballeros, and you hear them with their, people with their broken Spanish, El Campeón de la Empresa, and all that shit. You see everybody trying to follow along, even though half of them don't know any fucking Spanish. Because you know that. You guys hear them trying to follow along, and I just laugh because I commend them. That's how you know people are into the gimmick, when they're trying to follow along and really be into it. So, Del Rios is, is coming along quite a bit. Um, his little non-title, um, I'd like to say, altercation with Jack Swagger, because come on, it was it was less than less than a minute. It, it, it was what it was, and it succeeded in getting people interested. The Rock comes out, does his typical rock shtick. We get an awesome non-title US title, uh, non-title US champion Antonio Cesaro and Chris Jericho. Um, you know, it's um I don't want to say it was it was a great match because I think if they would have gone twenty minutes, it would have been a great match, but you know this was the setup for, you know, Fandango. To interfere, which we all know that's what happened. But I will say this. Chris Jericho can wrestle a wet bag of hair covered in shit and on fire and make it look good. And then you put him in there with a guy like Cesaro, who is a a, a great competitor. It just works. The chemistry was there. And it was funny because you can see all the little things that, that those guys were trying to put into that match to make it work as well as it did. Seriously. We got to see a Frankensteiner you know, tons of shit from Chris Jericho, and he just worked really well with Cesaro, which gives me hope down the road. Maybe a program with Jericho and Cesaro would do extremely well. Tons of funk, and the Funkadactyls took on the Rhodes Scholars and the Bella Twins. I would say that the Homer screaming applies, but I can't. I can't even use that for this. The Only because the Bella Twins are god-awful in the ring, them bitches get this. Yeah, that's what they get. Anyway, close things out. Undertaker, CM Punk, probably the high point of the entire three-hour broadcast was just CM Punk healing it up to a Super Saiyan level. He was... If, if, if if heel, if being a heel had a power level, CM Punk would be over 9,000 because what he did to the Undertaker was ridiculous to the point, you know, where he he opened the urn, which we all know is, you know, it's, you know, it's sacrilege and whatever. And light comes out of it and fucking lightning bolts and Zeus's lightning and all kinds of shit, opened it up and poured the ashes on the Undertaker. It was probably the craziest thing I've seen in a long time. Not as crazy as the Big Show being dragged through a cemetery on a coffin by the Big Boss Man, but very close. And I'll tell you why. A lot of people felt that the angle was extremely tasteless. I gotta tell, I gotta tell people this, and we're going into rant territory before anything else, and it's the following. Wrestling fans sit here and they bitch... They bitch about the Attitude Era. They bitch about the WWE not being risky. They bitch about them playing it safe. They bitch about all the stuff that they wish they got from the 90s. They they clamor for it. They beg for it. They plead for it. Here's what happens. You give it to them, and I don't understand why we became so soft that we complain about this shit. Seriously. Think, think about it. We watched ECW, WCW, the Attitude Era. We had everything from an old woman giving birth to a hand, to Vince McMahon making a, a grown woman bark like a dog, to sable-wearing pasties, to Tori Wilson, sleep, uh, who was it? I think it was Dawn Marie sleeping with Tori Wilson's father, Al Wilson, Come on. We've had some terrible shit. We had Triple H have sex with a fucking corpse. With a corpse. Seriously. All this stuff happened. We shit on it, but we thought at the time that it was the greatest thing ever. As soon as WWE went PG, people pissed and moaned and bitched. Oh, we don't get no more Brian and panty matches. We don't get a gravy bowl match. We don't get none of that. We don't. We don't get it. And whatever. I could care less. But... When CM Punk steps his game up and takes his heelishness to a level we haven't seen since the Attitude Era, people feel offended. What did you want him to do? Pour dog shit on The Undertaker? Number one. Number two, no one ever said that Paul Bearer's ashes were in the urn. It was implied. It was never said. It was implied as far as we all know, especially if you're well versed in wrestling, and I know Jay Santy knows about this, we, if we if you guys remember correctly in, the, in in that urn were the undertaker's parents the ashes of the of his parents were in that urn. That is the original way that they did it. Undertaker's parents' ashes were in the urn and he carried it around with Paul bearer. Now of course, Kane talking about the urn. They never fully implied that his ashes were in the urn. It was never implied ever. On the contrary, that's what they led you to believe because that's what fucking storytelling is that's what it is. but no, we complain. Paul Heyman said it best. you want the attitude era you you beg for it, but you know what you're not ready you're not ready we've be- Our society's become a bunch of soft pillow-bottomed assholes. That's what it is, pillow asses. Everything that gets done, people get butt hurt. Everything, everything. You can't say anything without someone being offended. I can come on air and call myself a Goya-eating, brown-skinned, spick-and-span, Home Depot-residing son-of-a-bitch with reckless impunity and no one gets offended because it's a joke. It's not real. Same thing. He poured ashes. You know they weren't fucking real ashes. You know this. Come on. Sure, you know, the the news said Paul Bearer's kids weren't, you know, they didn't know that it was going to go to that extreme, whatever. They didn't shit on it. They were just like, yeah, you know, it wasn't what we expected, which is fine. They're entitled to say that, but they never said, hey, you know, we're offended. They were just like, eh, it wasn't what we'd expect, what we expected. And that's what kills me. That's what kills me. Because you see so many people, man, we, I-, I want the attitude era back. And then you do stuff like that and you, and people get offended. Do you know how many people I saw on Twitter? Like, damn, that's kind of fucked up. Really? Is wrestling is your reality that skewed that, you know, for a fact that, that those are Paul Bearer's ashes in an urn for a guy who's supposed to be undead. Dudes that are 25 years old. Yo, man, it's kind of fucked up that he poured the ashes on The Undertaker. Really? Really, it's fucked up that a guy who's supposed to be a zombie has ashes poured on him by a guy who was supposed to be his manager. You know, the ashes of a guy who was his manager. Really? And you're, you're you know, you're a 20-something-year-old guy. Get the fuck out of here. This bullshit. I'm offended. Stop it. Anyway, I've just been informed that Jay's on the line. I'm going to bring Jay in real quick. And he actually has good timing because we can discuss some of the other stuff as well. So let me bring him on. Jay, what's up, dude? What's going on? I don't know, dude. Tell me if I'm wrong. About this Undertaker thing, with people actually complaining and kind of feeling offended that they poured the ashes on it. Some people saying that it was tasteless.
1: I was about to tell you, did we not forget that the Undertaker actually killed Paul Bearer?
0: Thank you. Poured and cement didn't on he
1: him. did pour cement on him and locked him in a tomb of cement?
0: Dude, didn't the well, Undertaker crucify... The Undertaker crucified somebody. Remember that? <laughs> He crucified Stone Cold Steve Austin on national television. Crucified. Oh,
1: no, but people were upset when an ECW, when it was done to uh, Sandman and such, and that whole thing, but when Stone Cold was crucified, it was like, wow, that's innovative.
0: Uh, th- this, is, this is the shit that kills me, dude, and, and, it, and it upsets me, not because of the product, because whatever. I watch wrestling, I break it down. Sometimes it sucks, sometimes it's, it, it doesn't. You know, and that's and that's part of the job. That's part of my of what we do. But when people get offended for things that are completely fucking fake, it it astounds me. It. I think
1: nowadays is because everybody is more aligned to knowing that if you're against it and you're pushing how negative it is, you're getting more of a promotion out of it rather than just saying like, look, like I said on Facebook. It was a little bit uncomfortable, but I loved it. I loved it. it that's was, what you yeah. do to bring the crowd, to bring the heat on. That's what you do. Right. You're balancing that line.
0: Well, that's the thing that kills me. It's like think about this. You, you know, Bully Ray or Bubba Ray Dudley at the time. I used to go and see ECW in the Elks Lodge. I remember him calling a woman a fat piece of trailer, a trailer trash piece of shit. I kid you not with her husband there to the point where her husband was going to hop the gate and whoop his ass. And then, you know, the husband realized, you know, it was part of an act. So he was mad, but then he kind of chilled out. But think about that. You are doing exactly what you're paid to do when you are a heel. It is to get the crowd involved. Nothing is gonna get the crowd more behind the Undertaker and, and and pray for them to watch you get your ass kicked than opening it up and pouring the ashes on him. It brought the story full circle.
1: Oh no, even more even more entertaining was when actually he took the ashes and was putting it all over his body in his
0: face. Oh, just, That's he... when
1: he actually took it to the next level.
0: <laughs> but it's no it's no different than when Brock Lesnar made Triple H bleed and then you know, took Triple H's blood and wiped it on his chest. It's right. no different, you know what I mean? Like, like it, the problem is that people, they fail to, to take into account that, oh my god, I'm so offended. You're rooting for a guy who's supposed to be a zombie, who's supposed to be undead. Listen to yourself. You're 30-something, 40-something years old rooting for a guy who's supposed to be undead. You do realize this shit isn't real, right?
1: <laughs> well, that and the fact that, you know, it's a double-edged sword because... Like you said earlier, you want the attitude error. You know, Heyman even you, complained, you really you really got yeah, you call for it, but you can't handle it. You really can't because, you know, like at the end of the day, like when we'll go back to when we're talking about the teasing of the heel factor with Cena. Are is WWE really prepared to turn him heel because remember that's Mr. Make a Wish Man, you know, that's 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 the face of the company. That's the golden boy. Like you know, are you guys really ready for Cena to be a heel?
0: I think, I think to answer that question with regards to that, and you know, I, I, I will discuss a little further in a few minutes. You got to think about this too. Cena turning heel is being, if if it's done, people got to realize it's from a character's perspective to freshen up the character. And and remember, and people fail to, you know, fail to take this into consideration, turning heel is... Isn't necessarily becoming a complete bad guy, because for how long was Stone Cold the guy that would come out there and give a stunner to everybody men, women, good guys, bad guys, you never knew what side he was on,
1: yeah, because you know what it is What you know I think what it is was pretty much with the fans out there who want to see it done is they're more along the line where it's, they're tired of the Cena with the Boy Scout image. That's what it is. They want to see the more aggressive, more angry, more let a profanity possibly slip out of his mouth type of wrestler. But once it happens, are you going to be satisfied? That's the question that WWE will have a problem with having to deal with. Because you, know, you can't just turn him a heel for a couple of weeks and that's it. No, we got to keep that going. We got to see if he's able to, you know, how he's going to match up with, you know, with the other faces or tweeners out there. So that that that's as for me, I you um, know I I, I, I can care less either way. For me, it doesn't matter. You know, I I I like I like to see it happen, but if he's still the face of what it is, it doesn't matter to me.
0: Well, it's it's funny you say that because I I read an interesting nugget of information which, depending on how you look at it would be extremely amazing or it would just be the most unexpected thing ever. And that would be that it turns out that Cena was behind the shield the entire time.
1: Now, let's see if creative could actually be that creative.
0: Dude, Im- imagine that. Imagine like NWO style, they come out, they, they put the beating on the rock, they're getting ready to turn around with, with Cena and then, you know, Cena just, you know, gives them a pound.
1: Well, that'll be that would be the equivalent of Hogan, you know, at, at Bass of the Beast, and with um with Macho Man, and the, the 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 whole outsiders bringing up the key guy, you know, that that would be the equivalent, if not even the biggest heel turn you know, you've ever seen in the history.
0: Yep, like he just grabs the mic and he go, "Yeah, Heyman Heyman got the shield, but I was behind the shield the whole time." I think I think the crowd would lose their shit. They would lose their mind.
1: Oh, everybody must be ready for flying objects that will be going towards that ring. during Because it'll either be done at WrestleMania or it'll be done at Raw. Oh, so it, it would be it, amazing. Case, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Before, before we get into, into the Mania matches and go into that, I actually wanted to touch a little bit on Impact this week. Because Impact this week actually stepped their game up a bit. They actually had some solid matches. Um... You know, Aries and Rude and Guerrero and Hernandez. I'm kind of just done with those guys. Not so much with with Aries and Rude, but just feuding with Guerrero and Hernandez because you know as well as I do that this is leading to at some point Hernandez turning on Guerrero anyway. I wanna see Rude and, and, and Aries against Daniels and Kazarian because that's the match that's gonna work. But
1: well, when we're looking at it now is that when I actually like I felt the same way with you. I said, okay, this this little feud is running its course. And I'm actually looking at it to where, okay, well, then how long is Rude and Aries are going to stay together? Because I'm the type of guy that actually could see them work separately. I don't need to really see them work as a tag team. But if it's going to help continue to push what their tag team division is doing, yeah, keep them locked where they are. You know, like you said, they, you know, that uh, company with Kazarian and, and, and Daniels, it's probably the most awkward-looking thing you can actually see because the way Daniels presents himself with this new flamboyant wave and Kazarian just being like the straight guy. But their formula together as a group, as a tag team, is just, it, it, they, they click on all cylinders every time you watch them wrestle.
0: Well, the one thing I think that that's happening is that I think TNA's starting to realize that there's more to their their company than just aces and eights and fucking Hogan, because they have you know their tag team division at one point you know was was probably one of the best tag team divisions in the U.S. at at a, at a time, and now it's like they're behind the eight ball again. Same thing with their knockouts division; they had some of the best the best women's wrestlers going for for a while, and then they just dropped the ball with that too. It's it it almost feels like they put. All their eggs into one basket with Aces and Eights, and the only good thing out of it is the amount of storytelling they put into Bully Ray being the leader. As for the other members of Aces and Eights, they're complete bullshit.
1: Well, it's it's, it's once again when I and I mentioned it earlier was that it's eerily looking once again similar to how the WCW and NWO began their formation and their run because. You know, with TNA now that they're you know hitting the road with their live shows, with a lot of TV shows and such, and now they're going to be bouncing out. They're going to put their marquees out there. They're going to put the whole the whole Hogan's face out there. You know, the, the 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 tyrannical looking stable with the Aces and eights. They're the threat now, so people's going to see it. You know, and then now especially with you know the uh, the, the Aces and eights wanting to recruit AJ Styles, which I, I, you know it reminds me of when NWO wanted to recruit Sting.
0: Yep, I remember that. Uh, and
1: it, yeah, it's going that same route, and you know, you're 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 looking to see whether a TNA and Creative thinks that the old Legion of Fans forgot that this worked one that tried uh, worked one time before and think they will hit you know hit a landmark again, or B, basically are uh, just running out of gas and trying to figure out you know how to push the product using this one show, because that's all they have with Impact.
0: Right. Well, the the –
1: It's going to be interesting. But they need to, once again, uh, before anything, they do have that pay-per-view tomorrow with the X Division, which I think needs to be more involved with the TNA brand. They need to push the X Division more. After the matches that we saw tonight, that is something that needs to be seen more often.
0: Well, the problem the problem with it is that changing the rules and doing all these, you know, these three way matches, it's great. But I'm also concerned that they're gonna rely on the matches as just spot fest without any real storytelling. Which is which is a problem going that route. Like not building up two particular guys to wrestle in a match and going with these three way matches, it just becomes not so much storytelling, but just like I said, glorified spot fest. Don't get me wrong, I love that shit. But it concerns me when there's no pre-existing story for some of these matches.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess it, you know it, it, it goes along the line, especially when you have the X Division, where it's pretty much like you said, it's a spot, it's a spot match, and a lot of these guys aren't really charismatic on the mic, so it does it does hurt them with storylines. Which, once again, we need to start seeing more managers and valets. I mean, yep. let's not be afraid to pull away from that.
0: No, I agree, hundred percent. I'm with you on that. The
1: only thing, uh, but other than that, I just see that um, you know it's it's the slow process of you know being able to 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 find the avenue to open it up for them, and, you know, and give them a chance to let them you know be open on the on the on the mic and let them open up in front of the camera instead of just thinking, okay, I'm gonna throw B guy and A guy out there and let them hit all these spots and everybody's gonna get over.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's the part that's the part that kind of. Kills me with that it's like like you know when we went to that to the House of Glory show, we saw Sanjay Dutt do tremendous heel work he was really good and it, it worked he, he looked really comfortable out there, but yet you see him here Thursday you don't get to see that you just see him come out there do do it do the match, and then leave you don't get to connect with him as a performer same thing with Petey Williams you don't get to see you, obviously we don't we're not expecting a, a PD pump gimmick like he had with scott steiner but we get the only thing we're gonna see is a canadian destroyer when he's out there other than that we got nothing you see what mm-hmm. i mean and that and that's what that's what concerns me with these x division guys you don't get to really build them you just get to say oh look it's the guy with the cool ass finisher that's it
1: yeah i guess the, the the way that they're gonna look at it now they want to invest it to where they're hoping that with the match that they produce tonight it's gonna increase the buy rate for the pay-per-view Tomorrow, so maybe that they're trying to you know hitch on that wagon. But you know, we we we've all seen how sometimes that occur. Remember years ago they they had the uh, the dollar pay per view, and you know I, I we we see how many fans they gained with that.
0: Oh, dude, I was I was the dude that bought a pay per view every week. Every week I was I was in there ordering it, put but giving them giving them my money. And you know what? I've recorded and I have so many discs of all that old stuff that people are just like, Holy shit, you were one of those? And I'm like, Yep, I was definitely one of those. Mm-hmm. So
1: I, guess I just see I'm just seeing that, you know it's yeah. it, it, it's a it's a it's a it's a sad it's a sad but yet also possibly a good turn in which that could happen with TNA if they could just have that. You know, I mean I me mean, spike T V gives them, you know, gives them liberty. You know, they get more liberty and probably even WWE gets at USA yep. if they able if they're able to take it. It's up to them to want
0: to do it, I agree yeah well the main the main event match at the at the end of the night wasn't bad. I mean, they did the right thing, kind of letting aces and eights come out on top, and I'm sorry, but that Joseph Park gimmick is complete dog shit
1: um from what I hear that's it's it's actually um. This so wanted to pull away from it. You know, Chris wanted to pull away from the whole business. thing. He wanted to be bigger. He wanted to, you know, and also creative wanted to see him more as a, a, a charismatic person without the mask. Or, but it's just like, you know, pulling Undertaker away and just saying, listen, we want you to be a uh, stylist now. It's like it, if it worked, if he's the if he's the monster, Continue it like there's There's nothing to do anymore with it. You know, you know, we've already seen the lawyer. And by the way, if he was ever anybody's lawyer, I expect that everybody will be in jail because I've never seen anybody practice law the way that he does. <laughs> but in either case, you're right. It has run its course. Let's get that. Let's get the monster back and let's get him tearing asses up.
0: Well, you know what the problem is? I think they're they, they, they love Mick Foley so much that they're figuring that they're trying to do like the faces of Foley with Abyss you know where it's abyss. Then he's Joseph Park. Maybe next week he'll be a circus clown. It's like, look, dude, just let the guy do what he's good at, and let him be abyss, and stop with the bullshit.
1: But then you're pulling away his talent from the ring because now you're making him just look like some sloppy jobber who's getting over by you know these little you know little gimmicky pinfalls and all that. Come on, let's see, let's see the black hole slam the way it's supposed to be. Let's see, let's see him go to work. Let's see. Let's see the hardcore again. Let's just
0: come on, let's just stop it already. Yeah, well the, the, the funny thing with, with that is that they ended it they ended the show with a with a promo and Bully Ray tried his hardest to to make it to make it work with Brooke Hogan, but her acting is shit. <laughs> that's like that's like that's like you trying to cut a promo on your cat. That's like me walking downstairs with a mic. And going to my cat and talking a whole bunch of shit. And he just stares at me with a blank look on his face. That was pretty much what that promo looked like to me. I'm like, I'm like, damn, you'd think that Hogan would sit her down and be like, you know, this is how you work on emotion. Don't get me wrong. I don't expect her to go out there and hulk up and start shaking and drop that big ass leg on Bully Ray, but damn, show something, show some range. Holy shit. I've seen, I've, that's I've that's seen fun. better, I've seen better acting from Bruce Jenner on the Kardashians than from her
1: because, you know, if it wasn't that Bully is so great, you know, on the mic and how he's able to just see, he, he, like you said, he could put a, a box of kitty litter over. It doesn't even matter because his mic skills are just tremendous. But if if it wasn't Brooke Hogan, if it was another, be, be it a knockout or even another wrestler, they wouldn't have put them out there. It's just because it's Brooke Hogan that they allowed that to happen, and, yep. and which is just, it's just a tacky, tacky attempt to making her –
0: uh, somewhat relevant. Ugh! Fucking terrible. All right, let's get into that. let's get into the meat and potatoes. We uh, let's talk some WrestleMania. Um, we're gonna start. We're gonna start from the bottom matches and work our way up. Obviously, the uh, tons of fun and Funkadactyls against the Road Scholars and the Bella Twins is just a, a tragedy in the making. Especially with you know um, Wade Barrett and the and the Miz being relegated to pre-show territory, and now cesaro for all intents and purposes has been relegated to get you know uh, initially everybody thought he wasn't going to be on the card but there's rumors that he may get a match with sincara on the pre-show since sincara's uh ring ready after his concussion
1: okay um that's just grand and just you just listen to the sarcasm in my voice Really, I mean, this, seriously, I, I'm still in awe. Like, who is it that, that actually had to, you know, give up some type of oral, you know, satisfaction to somebody to get the funkadelic matches with teams, with Road Scholar? And, look, don't get me wrong, I love Road Scholars. I'm not a big Cody fan, but I like the way those two connected. I like the way that they, they, the, the team is working. The, you know, the angle's a little, you know, passé. We've seen it before, which is fine, but to put them on the main show they must, they must have like some type of like big type of performance that's going to go off because I, I I can't see, I don't even understand where that comes from.
0: Yeah. I, I personally, I'm, I'm, I'm boggled about it because like I said earlier in the, in, in the segment, it's like your titles are meant to be defended on pay-per-view. You want to do a pre-show. Great. Send them to the pre-show. I think it's just because they like, Damian Sandow so much that they want to give him, you know, that that main that main stage payday. Which okay, that's fine. But again, putting him in this in this makeshift match with I I, I want to say a twenty five percent buildup. It's just a it's just an insult to you know guys like Wade Barrett, The Miz, um, Cesaro, all those guys. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Sin Cara should go out there and get a payday either. But you're you're too secondary champions should get a chance to shine on the main stage, period.
1: I'm just more, you know, I, I'm, I'm contemplating now because I'll be at Mania, and you're not supposed to miss, miss any match at Mania, but I'm wondering if I'm able to get to a bathroom quick enough to come back, because I know that match is going to be done in like less than five minutes. There's no way that that match stays anything longer than four.
0: Can't. There's no way. There's no way because, you know, the Bella Twins aren't exactly ring technicians, And out of Cameron and Naomi, Naomi's the only established hand in that match that could really do some damage. So it'll probably be her doing a bulk of the offense on the women's side of things and maybe Cameron coming in with a little flashy here and there. So like like you said, probably five minutes, maybe eight minutes tops. Maybe it'll tie into the Diddy performance. You never know.
1: Yeah, I see. I smell Smoky uh, uh, Morrison and Chris Jericho of a match build up
0: there. <laughs> that is true. Meanwhile, you know Chris Jericho and Fandango—a match that got thrown together within the last two weeks—I'm really interested in seeing it. And the funny thing is, the Fandango gimmick to me is complete bullshit. But you know Johnny Curtis is a solid wrestler. I I believe he comes out of the Killer Kowalski camp as well. So the guy can definitely go in there and put on a show. And I gotta commend the guy for taking this gimmick and working his ass off to try and get it over.
1: Well, you know, it's like a lot of people who don't really watch you know, the the shows like the NXT and stuff. I try to explain to them, I said, you know, you know, you guys have seen Fandango for probably the first time, but oh, excuse me, I said it wrong. Fun gong <laughs> And that felt good doing that.
0: There you go. Let I the see, A's breathe.
1: Let, you, let the A's breathe. You've seen him for the first time, but the guy is a solid work. He is. He actually has, he's actually seen moves. And I actually wanted to see what he was supposed to have as his finisher, which was an inverted dip, which turns into a DDT type form. But now I think they're, they're moving away from that, and they're doing the double leg drop, which I think he, I haven't seen anybody do a leg drop like that in quite some time. He's actually spot on and he nails it well. With Jericho, Jericho could make a turkey sandwich look great. <laughs> so it doesn't even matter. There you go. He is going to put this guy over and the heat that you're gonna see and he, remember the pageantry that's gonna come out of this guy. Be, he, well, money, money, more than this night. People are going to hate to love him even more.
0: That's it. He's his 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 cocky his cocky heel persona works and you know what think about this it wasn't that long ago that Dolph Ziggler was walking around backstage introducing himself saying hi I'm Dolph Ziggler everybody right. starts with a shitty gimmick somewhere and then it just develops Now that's not to say that I think the gimmick is flawless because honestly the dancing gimmicks are bullshit but the guy believes in it enough that he's willing to go out on a limb and get it and you know have a, a match with Chris Jericho which again Chris Jericho from what from what's being said, it's, he's going to take some time off again, as usual. So, I'm sure he's going to go out there and make Fandango look ridiculous on his way out.
1: Uh, like I said in my ago, you know, somewhere Rico is playing back out. I, I mean, wish he was involved Fandango right
0: now. This is true.
1: Go back and check
0: and do um where wherever you are, you got to adjust because you're starting to break up a little bit. Oh, okay. There you go. The um Mark Henry and Ryback, I know you were you were saying you were like, Ugh, you know, and and but I I think this is the match that's gonna have the big spot of the night. Either Ryback is going to, you know, shell shock Mark Henry. Maybe we'll get the ring getting broken. Who knows? But I think that this is gonna be the match with the big spot of the night.
1: Uh, yeah, this is one that I don't believe is gonna be the one that's gonna be the top of my uh greatest calls of the night, but you're right. It will, it will most likely have like the gorilla press slam or something big going
0: on. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be something where, you know, Ryback's going to go out there and he's going to have a, a, a good showing and Henry's going to make him look good and we're going to get something. Either, you know, we're going to get a shell shock into the announce table or maybe he's going to press Henry over his head. Something crazy, some ridiculous show of strength that we've never seen before is, is going to come out of that match and that's all that it's meant to do. And you know what? In Ryback's case, he needs to work with a guy that has a slower pace because guys that move faster than him just make him look robotic.
1: I'm looking to see whether or not he's going to be better than Goldberg Lesnar.
0: Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think I think I think ninety year old Mae Young against Katie Vick was better than Goldberg and Brock Lesnar, but that's just me. Now
1: for. Uh... Other than that, we, we we could also just hope that um, yeah, that that we 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 will see at least
0: something is broken. Yeah, something's got to get broken. Somebody got to get thrown through a barrier, or maybe we'll get the um the the Taz suplex through through the stage like Bam Bam Bigelow. We got to get something big. Now, on the Shield side of things, of course, they're taking on you know the bland, the big, and the pale in their match, which. I really hope leads to this uh rumored Randy Orton heel turn because Randy Orton's run is course. There's not much else he can do as a face. Sheamus as a heel kind of sucks. Let him be a face for a little while longer and the big show is fresh off a heel turn. So, you know, if anything, I'm thinking the Shield is going to win, Randy Orton's going to spaz out and RKO everybody and leave.
1: Well, that that would actually be the the highlight of my night because I've been waiting for that turn about a year now, it's like, you know, right, we, we, we've already seen this, and it, it, he just, it just makes everybody more upset about how glad he is in the face, I'm a big Randy fan, but it's true, it does, that happens on its course, now with the shield, it's also I mean, you know, their they, little comments on you know, the internet and a lot, you know, you know the backstory of Moxley, Mr. Moxley. You know, Moxley is huge with, you know, uh, Brian Brian they I, mean, I mean if they can go to YouTube and watch the promos of this guy, the whole Joker, you know, was that really alkaline. And he can, you know, really see that and not only does he have a good backstory with the way he's worked in other areas to bring it now, he makes them all look good. Right. Especially with the promo. Seth Rollins can actually talk now on the microphone. Before he was just, you know, half-ass on it. Now he's getting a character. Yep, and it Roman is Reigns true. Roman Reigns is still a little. Roman Reigns is still a little. Some of my little bell strippers trying to get you know a little cotton balls from the old ladies. What? The confidence you can see is growing week by week.
0: No, it, it, it's there's definitely ample growth in that match for all the participants involved. Like I said, I just hope. Now we get that Randy Orton heel turn. The Shield needs to go over to stay strong um, going forward, and I think I think that's that's the outcome that I think would be beneficial for all parties involved. Besides, it'll open up a nice little mini feud between Sheamus and Randy Orton for a little while, and those guys they work pretty well together anyway. Yeah,
1: um, I, I, you know, as long as they keep the Shield the way that they are, we don't need any other members. Leave them alone.
0: There you go. Unless unless we get a a Cassius Ono in there, I wouldn't oh, mind.
1: I would. That that get a pass. That's fine. That's good.
0: There you go. That gets a pass. Now, of course, the Undertaker and CM Punk. CM Punk is um he's getting the 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 live music treatment. He's gonna have his theme perform live at, at Mania, which is gonna be pretty badass. I'm a little jealous that I won't be there to check that out, but I know you'll have a blast. Um, all signs point to the Undertaker winning this match, but. This is a guy who pretty much has creative control over his entire career. So you never know. He may turn around that morning and be like, yo, I want to give it to Punk. Do you you think that'll happen?
1: Well, you know, there has been rumors saying that he doesn't really like the streak. He was never really a fan of it. He wasn't a fan of the Goldberg streak either. You know, he thinks that, you know, if wrestlers got to go over, especially when their time has come, let it go over. I don't think the creative you know, wants to let it go. I really don't. I really don't think this wants it done. I think that they it'll be a shot next year at another WrestleMania in. But like you said, you never know. He can wake up and just tell him, you know, let's listen, listen, Punk a little more. That's it. We're done. I know. know for a fact that Punk is not going to sit there and disappoint anybody nope. because he is going to bring it. Undertaker will bring it, and we're going to probably most likely see nine out of 10 match of the night.
0: I agree. Now on the tag team side of things, obviously hell no Dolph Ziggler and Biggie Langston are, are are going into this match and all signs to me point to Ziggler and Biggie getting the belts. But like I said earlier, it would have been better if we get, you know, Caitlin and AJ involved with all the belts on the line, because that would help that little faction really get some credibility.
1: Probably the best idea that would actually work now for this element, especially as we said, AJ's from you know home state whole town. You know, even though if they don't win the the, the the straps, it still puts them in there. You know, the crowd is still land. up. So That's probably the best way to set up that match. But once again, of course to the guys are just not want to create.
0: Well, you know, um, go ahead, move around again because your your yeah. audio is breaking up a little. The um the one thing I gotta say with that is that not too many people are really taking into consideration that Ziggler can still cash in that Money in the Bank Sunday. So yeah,
1: he have a WrestleMania Money in
0: the Bank? Like yeah, um no from from what I've heard the Money in the Bank briefcase has to be cashed in by WrestleMania. That's what
1: I'm telling everybody he ha- it has to be done that
0: day. Yep. So here here's here's a crazy thing that no you know not too many people are even. Taking that into consideration, Ziggler and Biggie win the tag team titles. Then Swagger wins the belt off Del Rio, and then obviously since Swagger got popped for the weed, Ziggler cashes it in on Swagger wins the belt. Swagger and Ziggler have pre-existing history anyway as tag team partners. There's your storyline.
1: That'll, that'll be the best the best for me. I'll, I'll be done for the night.
0: I think I think that's gonna be that again, but this is with the logic that they decide to remember that the belt had, that the Money in the Bank has to be cashed in at Mania. But
1: hopefully he's done he's done that because I don't mean, know what's gonna happen in Jersey. I believe he's gonna get one of the biggest pops over here in WrestleMania history. Go Bro- Ziggler.
0: There you go. Triple H, his career on the line against Brock Lesnar. I'm thinking Triple H is gonna want to get his win back, but there's a part of me that thinks. Triple H may do what's right for business and let Ziggler, I mean, let uh, Brock Lesnar take the win and him just retire from the ring, but not retire completely, obviously. That's how they'll write him off for him to run the front office.
1: I'm going to say that this is probably going to be the sleeping match of the night. I'm calling it now because I think there's going to be a lot of swerves and a lot of twists and turns in this match. So I think this might be one that people got to keep their eyes open for.
0: You think you think Triple H is gonna give the is gonna get his win back?
1: No, the shovel's coming out. He's burying. A lot. He's gonna bury Lesnar. <laughs>
0: Damn. Well, Del Rio and Jack Swagger. Like I said, I see Swagger winning. What do you think? You think you think Swagger gonna get the nod, even though he got popped for the weed?
1: No, I think it'll be Del Rio. The 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 real wins. Swagger's upset. Puts an ankle lock on Del Rio. That's when uh, Ziggler comes, cashes in, boom. Ziggler, new World to heavyweight champion.
0: All right, Rock Cena two. Blah. <laughs> Besides that,
1: uh, uh, let me just say this quick. Uh, That's my boy Louis. If Rock wins, if the Rock wins, we riot.
0: Okay. If the Rock
1: wins. <laughs> no, I look at it like this. I, you know, if, if Cena looked. Hella good with he did, as he did with CM Punk, he should be able to look great with The Rock. True. But the one thing, like Red had mentioned in a prior interview, was Cena doesn't seem to be able to take a back bump. So he's making The Rock bottom look horrible.
0: This is true also. So, I agree.
1: Um, I wish to see the heel turn. I would like to see it be a cool twist, but it wouldn't really matter. I think Cena's going over it. Cena wasn't know that. But...
0: The way the way I see it is probably and if not if not the Cena heel turn, I see possible Brock Lesnar interference to start building up that main event for next year with Lesnar and the Rock, which could happen. Then that of course leads to Cena winning the belt and maybe the possible heel turn to boot. We'll see, but I, I don't know. I kind of think that if Cena wins, it won't be a clean pin because there's always money in a rubber match.
1: Yeah, and that's true because you know, with all the way you know, the he's popping up right now. The he's looking very, very white, very clean right now. So you know, the, the dirty win might be there. Hey, who knows? Foots on the
0: rope might get the pin. That that could happen too. We'll see how it pans out. Um, I got your House of Glory write-up. Be on the lookout for that, guys, later on this week. Um, Of course, Thanks, you, you can follow Jay on Twitter, at JaySanty, S-A-N-T-Y-P-S-W. And, of course, look for him on Facebook as well. Anything else you want to add?
1: Uh, guys, I'm going to be, tomorrow I'll be at Access, uh Saturday I'll be lucky enough to see my first ring of honor.
0: Good luck. Sunday dude. I'm
1: at Mania. Monday I'm at Raw. So I'm gonna be I'm already tired and I haven't even started anything yet.
0: Oh, and looking. also, Uh
1: April twelfth, House of Glory, fight the world. Bruce Leroy will be in the building.
0: Yeah, him and uh Earl Cooter.
1: Oh, you're the man, Earl. You're the man.
0: There you go. <laughs> All right, brother. Thanks for uh Thanks, doing these mom. uh picks with me.
1: Thank you, sir. Yeah, was a good, good show.
0: All right, brother. I'll catch you later. Peace.
1: All
0: right, right, guys. That was Jay Santee. Like I said, follow him on Twitter at J-J-A-Y-Santee, S-A-N-T-Y, capital P, capital S, capital W, at Jay Santee, P-S-W. You can also find his face heal of the week on MyTakeRadio.com. His write-up for this past weekend's House of Glory show will be up later this evening. And as always, if you want to talk some wrestling with him, you can always hit up our Facebook fan page, and I'm sure he will gladly debate you on some wrestling stuff. All right, switching gears out of WrestleMania, let's get into some of the other wrestling news for this week. Uh, gotta commend the WWE for their work with Make-A-Wish, as they will be bringing 38 children to WrestleMania 29. Really looking forward to that, only because you know I've I've worked with Make-A-Wish for with one of my sisters and wwe's work with them continues to be phenomenal so again kudos to them 38 kids get their wishes granted by attending wrestlemania 29 it's definitely a classy move on their part of course we got those musical performances at wrestlemania cm punk said that living color will be performing cult of personality for his entrance and also for his exit at mania also skylar gray will be appearing at mania with Diddy to perform coming home. So those are the two musical performances you can look out for. Who knows? They may surprise us with something else, but those are the two that we know of currently in a bit of news that I'm actually very happy to hear about Martha Hart, who of course is the wife of Owen Hart. Her, um, her lawsuit with WWE has been settled over Owen Hart's likeness rights. With that said, now that the lawsuit is settled, and um, you know the non the, the payment for royalties to Owens Estate have been settled. That means that we will finally, most likely next year, get to maybe see Owen Hart in the Hall of Fame. Finally, start seeing Owen Hart appearance in some WWE games. I'm I'm really glad it's settled. I think Owen Hart deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and he's a he's a Hall of Fame caliber competitor. And not only that, but it's always good to just Be able to use him in the games. Like I know a a lot of guys that like to go out and create the nation in WWE 13 or in older WWE games. And sometimes you want to go and you don't want to have a created Owen Hart. You want to you know have him in there. And I think that's one of those things that's you know it's well deserved. If honestly, if Owen Hart appears in a game, it would be it would just be awesome to see because you could do Hart Foundation faction. You can do like I said, the new nation. You can have a lot of fun with it. Um, definitely a a nugget chance in the arena. Thank you for that, Jay. Um, I, I, I'm glad to see it resolved. And like I said, Owen Hart deserves the hall of fame slot. Evan Bourne returned to action. Very happy to hear that he popped up on third last Thursday's NXT show in Florida. He had a match against the man formerly known as El Generico. I believe now he wrestles as Sammy Sane. I believe it is S A Y N. Good to hear that Evan Bourne is back. He had a terrible, terrible ankle injury, so seeing him back in the squared circle is always good news. Plus, we get to see that very beautiful shooting star press once again. So, congrats to Evan Bourne for getting back. Definitely stay away from the weed, and hopefully, you'll continue to have a solid WWE career for the foreseeable future. Now, I got to close things out. Well, not close things out, but get into some some sad news, which was, of course, the passing of Rick Flair's son Reed Flair who was found dead um in a hotel room he was 24 years old and he had just returned from working with All Japan and you know they found they found him unconscious they don't suspect foul play on the contrary they suspect overdose which of course is one of the things that has been just a a lingering specter in the wrestling world just just the drug use killing some of these guys before their time now you know, my condolences to Ric Flair's family, but I'm going to say something, and some of you are going to think it's fucked up, can I tell you when I first read the top headline, Ric Flair's son is dead, I honestly thought it was David Flair, it, it, it's fucked up, you guys are going to be like, damn, that's that's cold, but I really did think it was David Flair, I really did, and and it's terrible to say, because, you know, Reed Flair had a, you know, he had a promising career, I, I knew eventually he would be getting the call up, to WWE at some point, and he was a shoe in to get on the roster, but I honestly thought, and and again, you know, (laughs) forgive me for saying it, but I really thought it was David Flair that died, it's fucked up, but that's what I thought, when I read that it was Reed Flair, I didn't even read to the bottom of the paragraph and said to myself, it had to have been drugs, now, they haven't, they haven't released toxicology yet, they haven't released uh, the medical examiner's report yet, but Unless you know, unless he had like a pre-existing heart condition or something like that, much like um Charlie Haas's brother or something along those lines, all signs point to drug overdose. Which, once again, like I've said, is just a a specter over the wrestling industry. Whether it's addiction to painkillers, cocaine, you name it, it it's it's been out there, and it's something that, especially now in the in the modern era of wrestling, is is not as, as acknowledged as, as it usually is, but there's a lot more high-tech drug use out there than in the old days. In the old days, you know, maybe some speed, uh, SOMAs, stuff like that, but now, you know, you got heroin, you got guys that use heroin, um, Spice, you know, the synthetic weed, regular weed, um, whatever fat-burning supplements or steroids are out there, all of this stuff either used separately or together or just... A recipe for disaster, and, you know, maybe, maybe Reed Flair was in that, that school of thought where, you know, maybe he needed something to take the edge off of being a professional wrestler, I mean, he had big shoes to fill, and, again, it's just, it's just a tragic, tragic thing, I mean, you have a guy where Reed Flair, trained by Bobby Eaton and George South, um, he was originally scheduled to debut for Ring of Honor when Flair was working there, um, But Ring of Honor backed off after he was popped for heroin possession. There you go. Then he was working in All Japan. WWE had taken a look at him and and had contemplated even signing him to developmental. So the guy was already arrested for heroin possession. So we we, we don't got to go any deeper than that. The thing that, that saddens me is just the fact that the guy's 24 years old. That is whole life ahead of him. The guy had all the tools to carry on his father's legacy and just, you know, the, like I said, the, the specter of drug use reared its ugly head and claimed another superstar. It's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs. And for Ric Flair, the, the guy hasn't had it easy the last couple of years. I mean, between this ex-wife divorcing him, that ex-wife divorcing him, his daughter beating him up, him losing all that money, he, um, you know, going to TNA, going to Ring of Honor, coming back, just being a shadow of his former self that you can see is there for a payday to pay off all his stuff. It's, it's really, really, it's unfortunate. I mean, you know, like I said, my, my condolences to, to Flair's family, but it's a, it's a terrible, it's a terrible, terrible, dark, dark side of the business. And again, it claims another talented superstar. I did want to get into this particular list and, you know, it's something I read last week, when when during during the time off air, and it was about WWE's ten superstars who were ahead of their time, and it was it was a, a solid list. And as always, these lists are always up for debate. Um, superstars that they listed were Dynamite Kid, Gorgeous George, Brian Pillman, Nick Bockwinkle, Bad News Brown, Gold Dust, Sabu. Superstar Billy Graham, Raven and Antonino Rocca. Now, obviously you can say that there are tons of superstars that could be put on this list that were ahead of their time. I mean, The Undertaker when he first came out was ahead you know, was ahead of his time. The gimmick was ahead of his time. Um Brian Pillman definitely ahead of his time. You can even say that about Stone Cold Steve Austin. He was the guy that made middle fingers drinking beer in the ring all that stuff he he really changed the way the the average superstar was viewed he made the anti-hero um, a household name so I'd add him to that list Bad news Brown definitely needs to be on that list if you are a fan of wrestling and you've watched wrestling for as long as I have you know about Bad news Brown definitely a guy that I would throw in there gold dust of course, goes in that list as well sabu definitely i would include in that list raven raven is probably one of the guys that i think needed to be on that list from the get-go because he's a guy who always came out he had this crazy crazy persona that was leaps and bounds ahead of any other wrestler during his you know during his time and definitely i'm glad to see him in that list For those of you that are asking about Gorgeous George, this is not Macho Man's Valet, the blonde and very attractive Gorgeous George. This is old school Gorgeous George. So um, definitely, you know, for those of you curious about that, look up Gorgeous George and you'll see he, not she, is who I'm referring to. Um, Like I said, Dynamite Kid, definitely you could put in there. Um, Chris Benoit, if he wasn't blacklisted for you know, the Bible and smothering his family. I would definitely put him in that list uh, just because he was ahead of his time. Um, You know, things like that. But a very interesting list. And and like I said, always up for debate. If you guys have any superstars that you feel were ahead of their time and would like to share them with us, of course, make sure to add them on our Facebook fan page just because, like I said, I think it would yield some very, very interesting results. I want to talk a little bit about some Japanese pro wrestling because Japanese pro wrestling for those of you that are aren't as well versed is probably some of the most hard-hitting wrestling you can watch and when John blade was here uh, we've watched you know he watched some re- some Japanese wrestling and he he got a newfound appreciation for the craft of wrestling as a whole well one of the many legends of the Japanese wrestling scene Kenta Kobayashi, is retiring and he is having his retirement match May 11th in Tokyo. Um also he's that match is his retirement match is going to be him teaming up against the great Muda who the WWE listed in their alumni section recently, Jun and Kensuke Sasaki and they're taking on um Goshi Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Maybach Taniguchi. Now, I will say Kenta Kobayashi is a fucking legend a legend in this business. YouTube is your friend. Look up some Kenta matches and you'll see what I'm talking about. He is without a doubt one of the best Japanese wrestlers in this business. I can I can list 10 of my favorite Japanese wrestlers. And Kenta Kobayashi's on that list, Great Muta's on that list, Hayabusa's on that list. Um Ultimo Dragon is on that list, Jushin Thunder Liger is on that list, um, I'd like to say, definitely, I gotta say, Mr. Ganoske is on that list, um, damn, what a brain fart I had, I got six so far, there's four other Japanese wrestlers, I'm missing, and it is, almost one o'clock in the morning, and I gotta get my head on right, but I actually, thank you Antonio Inoki, thank you Jay Santi. how can I forget Antonio Inoki, Definitely, he goes in that list. Uh, I said Liger. Oh, um, Hakushi. I got to throw Hakushi in there because Hakushi was amazing. And he used to do a lot of tag team wrestling with the um, Flaming Phoenix, which was Hayabusa. And they did a lot of stuff, which I think if you have a chance, you can probably find it on WWE's YouTube page. They did a match. It was Hakushi... And Hayabusa against Rob Van Dam and Sabu. I actually think I still have a DVD of that match. And it is probably one of the best matches involving Japanese wrestlers outside of WWE and WCW at the time. So do yourselves a favor. Definitely look that up. Like Jay said, TNA is doing a show here in Long Island tomorrow. So um, if you're here in New York City and you want to check out TNA, it's going to be happening at the uh, at the theater in Westbury, Long Island, and pretty solid card. Sting and Jeff Hardy taking on Bully Ray and Devon. Bobby Roode is taking on James Storm in a New York Street fight. Christopher Daniels is taking on Samoa Joe. AJ Styles versus Austin Aries, which is sure to be an awesome match. Kurt Angle is taking on Wes Briscoe, and Joseph Park is taking on Robbie E. So those are all the matches you can expect if you are attending the TNA show tomorrow evening. All right. That's going to wrap up this week's wrestling segment. We are going to jump right into video games because we got quite a bit to discuss, so let's get right into it. First thing I got to start off with, Metal Gear Solid 5, The Phantom Pain was announced at the GDC conference and, you know, of course, Metal Gear is one of those series that It just stands the test of time. Every Metal Gear game can be replayed and enjoyed just as if you played it the first time. I actually am playing Revengeance currently, and I'm working on the review for that. But it's cool to see Metal Gear Solid Five get a a beautiful unveiling. Of course, we get to see Snake waking up from a nine-year coma. So it's going to be really cool to see. I mean, part of the gameplay demonstration they showed had Snake waking up from the hospital and being forced to escape... Uh, being forced to escape and it's crazy because you know he's waking up out of a coma he has limited movement and the 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 gameplay that they showed was just crazy just to have a guy out of a coma and you're trying to navigate him out of a hospital like always Metal Gear heavy on the suspense heavy on the storytelling hopefully it's not you know nine hours of cinematics and an hour of gameplay but again the Metal Gear franchise never disappoints I mean I'm really enjoying Revengeance thus far so it's good to hear that Metal Gear 5 is getting an opportunity to grace current-gen consoles, so be on the lookout for that. Game is set for release on PS3 and Xbox 360, but who knows, maybe it'll get the PS4 treatment as well. Computer and Video.com are reporting that Batman Arkham Origins will be released on current and next-generation consoles later this year, being, of course, a prequel to Arkham City and Arkham Asylum, and is going to be taking place in the Silver Age of DC, It'll be the first meeting of Batman and the Joker and you're also going to get to see Justice League's uh, Superman and Green Lantern in the game as well. So definitely looking forward to that. Batman Arkham Origins, like I said, dropping on current and next generation consoles later this year. I want to talk a little bit about the Ouya console. Those of you that know, that was the crowdsource console with the Android back end. Thus far, it has been Ship to those people that have contributed to the Kickstarter campaign. People have good things to say about it. Console is going to retail for $99. And for those of you that didn't get in on the Kickstarter campaign, you'll be able to pick that up in retail stores June 4th. As of right now, there are 8,000 developers working on games for the system, including Square Enix, uh, Double Fine, uh, Vlambeer, Polytron. So a lot of, a lot of companies are, putting their creative talents behind this system. Is it going to take the fight to the 360 and the PS3 or even the PS4? I can't say for sure, but getting a $99 console with, with an Android backend opens up a wealth of possibilities. So again, you'll be able to pick that up June 4th. It's going to run you $99.99. You'll be able to get it at Amazon, Best Buy, GameStop, and Target. Extra controllers will run you $49.99. A couple of weeks back, we were talking about THQ and the demise of their company and the distribution of their franchises. One of the games, one of the franchises I did not um, discuss was Darksiders, and I was incredibly concerned that it would be the end of the Darksiders IP. But Destructoid is reporting that Crytek is intent, has intent on bidding on the license during the April THQ auction, which is going to be going on from April 1st to the 15th. So, with that said, Crytek may be grabbing the Darksiders IP, and we may get to finally see the remaining chapters regarding the Four Horsemen. I'm actually looking forward to that just to see what Crytek can do, but I'm just happy that the Darksiders franchise will live on. I'm very, very excited for that. 4J Studios announced that Minecraft on Xbox Live has sold over 6 million units. That's a lot of people crafting. The game started the year at roughly over 5 million units, but as of right now, as of today, they are over 6 million units. Not only that, but Title Update 9 is expected to hit soon on Xbox Live. They're also going to be releasing a retail edition for the 360 on April 30th. So you'll be able to get a disc-based version of Minecraft if you don't want to buy it on Xbox Live. All right. Now, I did want to talk about this because, you know, we talked about the MPD numbers earlier this month, but I did want to get into something that game industry international reported. And that is an increase in DLC, a 33% increase. As a matter of fact, this ties into DLC and digital game sales from last year. And that is numbers from the U S and Europe in 2012, U S sales reached $5.9 billion while UK sales ended at around 1.7 billion. My, the crazy thing about this is that, 48% of that, 48% of the $14.8 billion spent on games came from new game sales. The remaining amount of money out of that $14.8 billion came from DLC, digital games, mobile games, used games, subscriptions, rentals, and social networking games. Obviously, you know, things like um, Draw Something or Angry Birds on Facebook, all of that contributed to... The increase in digital in digital purchases, which really goes to show that if we actually get an infrastructure in place with really good broadband, we'll be able to buy games digitally like it's nothing. I, I mean, we're still a bit off because I think the entire country isn't wired the same way, you know, New York or Los Angeles or Chicago are wired with regards to Internet capability. But to see increases like this, it really is fueling the fires that DLC and digital game sales are going to be the wave of the future. 3DS gamers will be able to play Shin Megami Tensai 4 this summer for the 3DS. It's going to be the first title um, since 2004. So for those of you that are hardcore 3DS gamers, you'll be able to have another game in your arsenal with Shin Megami Tensai. And that's going to be coming out this summer. I'm actually looking forward to that only because it's it, it You know, since 2004, we haven't seen this game on handhelds, and I know for a fact that a lot of people who I told about this that are hardcore RPG players are looking forward to a brand new RPG to consume their time. So, with that said, you'll be able to bag that this summer for your 3DS. Gotta extend my moment of silence to LucasArts today, because it's been announced that Disney is officially shuttering the company, and pretty much... With that, they laid off 150 people and killed any of their current projects. Star Wars First Assault and Star Wars 1313 have been canceled. What this means with regards to the Star Wars franchise, who knows? But as of right now, LucasArts is dead. Rest in peace, LucasArts. Thank you for giving us so many great games, especially those within the Star Wars franchise. All right, that's going to wrap up the gaming news for this week. We are going to get into movies because there's actually quite, well, not even movies, entertainment because we do have some TV news this week. So let's get right into it. Let's open things up with some box office totals. It should come as no shock that GI Joe retaliation was number one this past weekend, $41.2 million, $51.7 million total, including the early opening. So definitely an easy, easy run with the three-day weekend. Obviously, you got your your Good Friday holiday in there, plus your Saturday and your Easter Sunday. Not only that, but for, for this film, there was also a Thursday release, which added in, uh, another $10 million to bring, like I said, its total to $51.7 $51. $51. million. The Croods was number two. 10, uh, ugh, excuse me. Temptation, Confessions of a Marriage Counselor was number three. Olympus Has Fallen was number four. You can see a review for that and for G.I. Joe Retaliation on MyTakeRadio.com. Oz the Great and Powerful was number five. The Host was number six. The Call was number seven. Admission was number eight. Spring Breakers came in at number nine and the incredible Burt Wonderstone closed things out at number 10. Of course, it shouldn't come as a shock that they are already working on a third G.I. Joe film. Variety reports that the box office success of G.I. Joe Retaliation is already pushing Paramount to create a third G.I. Joe film. So there you have it. Now, the crazy thing about this is that G.I. Joe opened with a total of $132 million. came from domestic theaters. 80.3 came from international theaters. The film's budget was less than $130 million. And get this, that budget was less than the budget of the first film, which was $175 million. The fact that that first film had a $175 million budget is ridiculous, considering that most of the effects in that film were horseshit. Those stupid mechanized suits that Channing Tatum and, uh, what's-his-name, Marlon Wayans, were running around and looks stupid. The fact that $175 million was spent on that is ridiculous. The only good things out of that first film were Snake Eyes, Storm Shadow, and The Baroness, and, you know, General Hawk and some of the, some of the old G.I. Joe names that we all know and love. Overall, the first G.I. Joe film was completely subpar. The second film was definitely substantially better, but it was not great. I'm not going to go into why. For that, like I said, you can head over to MyTakeRadio.com and read the review, but it was enjoyable. I will say that. John Chu, who directed G.I. Joe Retaliation, is also working on a He-Man reboot. He, they're already in the beginning stages. They're looking at a couple of different things that they want to go with, but they definitely want to go with a darker and serious tone. You know that He said he doesn't want He-Man to be too dark, but he doesn't want it to be campy either. So, you know, you're going to see a lot of stuff like, you know, you may see the beast man, the snake man, et cetera, but it's going to be a more, uh, more grounded and more serious approach for He-Man, which honestly, the, the original He-Man movie was ridiculous. I, it's probably a guilty pleasure of mine because I watch it often. And, and honestly, the, that, the, you know, the He-Man film at that time with Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella to me was, you know, I, I was a kid. I thought it was the greatest shit ever. I actually felt that, you know, it was pro. It wasn't. It wasn't accurate. Obviously, it was not accurate. But it was. It was just amazing that they took the time to bring this universe to life. And it was pretty close. There were some things, obviously, no Prince Adam. But you know, you had Tila, You had Man at Arms. You couldn't get Orko in there. So Gwildor, You know, Gwildor... We, we, we crack a lot of jokes about He-Man, the key, the key, that's all, you know, that's all we ever talk about with, with Gwildor and, of course, Karg, who is a running gag, I'm sure Slick will get a kick out of that, but nothing, nothing of, you know, with regards to the Masters of the Universe was, sticks out more than, than Skeletor's monologue when he became a god, because it was probably one of the best villain monologues at the time, and honestly, even now, Years later, I think it's still one of the best badass villain monologues. And if you've never heard it, check this shit out.
1: I, Skeletor, am a star of a universe.
0: Alright, we don't want to go into Skeletor getting the whole green armor and shit. Let me see if I can fast forward a little bit. I feel it. The power fills me. Yes! I feel
1: the universe within me. I am. I am a part of the cosmos. Identity flows through, through me. And what consequence are you now? This planet, these people, they are nothing to me! The universe is power! You, unstoppable power! And I am that force! I am that power! Kneel before your master! Fool! So, you are no longer my hiltworld! I am more than man.
0: More than life. I... God! Sure, it was a little hokey, but that monologue was the shit. It was the shit because, you know, bad guys, especially in movies like that, like, if you watch, I kind of want to say James Earl Jones had a great monologue in Conan, but I'm talking about... Beastmaster movies that came out during that that genre. You know, a lot of a lot of sword and sandal films. They just didn't have that same that same presence and not for nothing. Partially I gotta give credit to Frank Langella, who's an amazing actor, but his work as Skeletor was was off the chain. And with that said, if you do a, a reboot of He Man, you need that same you need that same type of presence. You need a guy that isn't, you know, a hokey skeletor impersonator but a guy who's really dangerous devious and has a a god complex you need that shit because that would really bring it full circle that's one of the things i hope to see when we see thanos in in the marvel movies we need that same type of i don't even want to say swag because that's just a shitty word to use but just that that villainous that aura that really makes you look at a bad guy and go that is a cool fucking dude I, we need to see that. We need to. And um, Slick, of course, says that you need Karg. <laughs> Fucking Karg. Worst henchman ever. He really is the worst henchman ever. If, if you guys have never seen a, 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 a lamer henchman, do yourselves a favor. Look up Karg. K-A-R-G. He has a giant bouffant hairdo and a hook for a hand and does absolutely Nothing. In the He-Man movies, jack shit. Alright, let's get into some small screen news real quick. If you're a fan of American Horror Story, the next season is going to be American Horror Story Coven, which will be debuting around Halloween, so be on the lookout for that. A lot of the cast members from previous seasons will be returning, including, including, um, uh, you know, Thaisa Farmiga, Jessica Lange. Uh, Lily Rob Sarah Paulson Evan Peters you're going to also be seeing Kathy Bates in that cast as well like I said it should be coming around along probably around that week of Halloween if I remember correctly um, American Horror Story was on Wednesday so you may still be getting it on Wednesdays and I'm assuming it's not going to want to compete with The Walking Dead which of course will be taking over Sundays this October so there you have it now I got to talk about this a little bit because I mentioned it, I want to say, two months ago about a reboot of National Lampoon's Vacation Films. Now it seems that Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo are in talks to return as Clark and Ellen Griswold. So there you have it. Chevy Chase leaves community. I guess they, you know, they didn't get enough money from Old Navy commercials, but... It looks like they will be returning to the beloved vacation franchise. As of right now, it seems that they will be joining Ed Helms and Christina Applegate, who are reportedly in talks to star in the movie. And the new film is said to follow the misadventures of Rusty Griswold, who will be portrayed by Ed Helms, who, along with his own family, go on a vacation to Wally World. So there you have it. Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo are going to get themselves a nice little payday by returning to to the National Lampoon's Vacation franchise. In some other small screen news, it looks like we're going to be getting Gangs of New York on the small screen. Martin Scorsese and and Miramax are teaming up to develop a TV series based on Gangs of New York, which is probably in in my top 10 of favorite movies because Bill the Butcher is the fucking man. Um, they're going to follow it, of course, in New York, but also in Chicago, and it's going to explore the birth of organized crime in the U S at the turn of the 20th, uh, at the turn of the 20th century. They don't have a network for it yet, but I will say that if Martin Scorsese is going to do it, I'd love to see it maybe on HBO showtime, maybe FX. I'm sure it won't be on HBO. So it doesn't compete with boardwalk empire, but I'd love to see it on showtime or FX. I think a gangs of New York TV show would do well. And honestly, this was one of the movies where I started really appreciating Leonardo DiCaprio's talent as an actor. I started to look at him as less as a pretty boy bitch and really um, started to appreciate him as an actor. So Gangs of New York coming to the small screen, not a bad thing. In some other small screen news, you can write this down on your calendars. True Blood returns June 16th, 9 p.m. Eastern on uh, HBO, of course, it's going to be 10 episodes, we got um, a new showrunner, it's going to be Brian Buckner taking over, uh, he's going to be taking over for Mark Hudis, Hudis moved on to take care of some other development, when we last left True Blood, of course, Bill became bad, and uh, yeah, we're probably going to see the usual, lots of nudity, maybe we'll see Anna Paquin's boobs for the fifth time, I'm sure that the Alcide, the werewolf will be shirtless at least twice. Eric Northman will be shirtless at least 12 times or so. We're going to get probably some girl on girl, some guy on girl, some werewolves, all the typical sexy shit that we get in true blood that we don't see in twilight. So write it on your calendars, June 16th, nine o'clock HBO or true blood. Now we all know Iron Man will be in theaters in May and it looks like they're going to do much like they did with the Avengers they are going to do an Iron Man marathon. You're going to get Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, The Avengers and Iron Man 3 in a marathon for the release of the film. As of right now, I don't have a list of theaters yet, but as soon as I get it, I will share. It. <clears throat> Excuse me, I will share it with you guys. You'll be able to watch all 3 Iron Man films plus The Avengers. So, get ready to set aside probably 9 hours of your life to watch all these films. So, there you have it. In a, in, a, in a bit of sequel news that I honestly did not see coming, it looks like we are going to be getting a sequel to Finding Nemo, aptly titled Finding Dory, in theaters November 25th, 2015. Uh, this film is supposed to be taking place a year after the first film, obviously all the favorites will return, Marlon, Nemo, the Tank Gang, all the usual, but it seems that they're going to be doing it where Dory is going to be looking for her family, so... It's going to be very interesting to see how they do that, especially considering that it's been, I, I think 12, 12 years since the last Finding Nemo film. So it's going to be interesting to see how, how people embrace that. I think it's going to do well. Um, <laughs> Strider in the chat says that Dory was already found. She was in the closet the whole time. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Nice Ellen DeGeneres joke, but I give credit where credit is due. Welcome back, Strider. Good to have you back in the chat. Um, I think it's definitely going to make Disney a lot of money. I know that for those of us that have been out of the loop with the Finding Nemo story, they'll probably remind us of it either by re-releasing the film in in 3D and IMAX, as usual, or they'll probably do a limited run of the, of the Blu-ray and the DVD, giving people a discount on the new film. But we still got... Two years to go before we get to worry about that. So as more news develops, I will, of course, share it with you guys. So let's talk a little bit about casting news real quick. We all know that Michael Bay's Ninja Turtles movie is moving forward. As a matter of fact, it is actually filming here in New York City in um, Jones Beach. I know it's filming in areas of Jones Beach from what I've heard. So if anybody lives out by Jones Beach and wants to punch Michael Bay in the face, please knock yourselves out. Anyway, so the Hollywood Reporter reports, yuck, 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 that Will Arnett has joined the cast of Ninja Turtles. Nobody knows who he's playing, but they did say that he is not playing Casey Jones. He will be joining Megan Fox, who, for all intents and purposes, is a shoe in as April O'Neil. Uh, the Turtles are going to be done through motion capture. They will be portrayed by Alan Richson, who was um, Aquaman in Smallville and Thad Castle in Blue Mountain State. Uh, Pete Plozek, Jeremy Howard, and Noel Fisher. So the Turtles will be done via mocap. Megan Fox is going to be April O'Neil. And like I said, nobody knows who Will Arnett is playing, but it is not Casey Jones. So if it's Splinter, eh, maybe. As long as it's not the Shredder, we're okay. But that's the casting news with regards to what I'm sure will be an abomination for most of us. Who knows? I really I really can't with good conscience say that this movie is going to be any good. Especially with the way they want to do it with the alien turtles. But we got a long way to go. Release for the film is June 6, 2014. So I have a whole year to bitch about it. So <laughs> as more news develops, of course, I will share it with you guys. In some Marvel casting news, it's pretty much... Almost a lock that Zoe Zaldana will be joining Guardians of the Galaxy to play Gamora. For those of you that don't know, Gamora is an assassin, and depending on which books you read, is the adopted daughter of Thanos. Of course, if you've read some of the books, Gamora does end up turning on Thanos and aligning with the Guardians of the Galaxy. If if Zoe Zaldana joins the cast, she'll be joining Chris Pratt as Star-Lord, and of course Dave Bautista as Drax the Destroyer. As of right now, there have not been any... Casting additions for Groot or Rocket Raccoon filming for guardians of the galaxy begins in June to wrap up this week's entertainment news. I got to talk a little bit about fast and furious. It looks like the director, Justin Lin will be leaving the franchise. Hollywood reporter states that Lin who's directed all the films since Tokyo drift opted out of the franchise. As of a few days ago by telling universal, he just doesn't want to direct the next film. It's funny, though, because had he stayed on for one more film, he would have tied the English language record for most films in one franchise by a single person. He would have been even with John Glenn for his work on the James Bond films. As of right now, Universal is scrambling to get themselves a new director because they want to start filming the next Fast and Furious film by next year. Justin Lin has been attached to a lot of projects, and I'm sure he just got tired of, of doing so many Fast and Furious films, so... We'll see what director they come up with. I wouldn't mind seeing Antoine Fuqua take a crack at it. He would probably make it a little darker, a little grittier. But Justin Lin did a good job of evolving the series from glorified car porn to a pretty solid series of heist flicks. So we'll see who takes over with this last film. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of MTR. You guys have just heard My Take Radio episode 178. For Thursday, April 4th, 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also hit us up on our feedback line. That's 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. If you don't want your message played on air, please make sure to specify that when you leave your message. Last but not least, of course, social media. You can find us on Twitter, at MyTakeRadio. Become a fan on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash MyTakeRadio. Add us to your circle on Google+. And, of course, if you want the full MTR experience, make sure to pick up the MyTakeRadio app, available for Android owners in the Amazon Android market and for iOS owners via iTunes. You can also listen to MTR on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zune Marketplace, and tune in Radio. Last but not least, we remind you that if you're getting the show via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We'd really appreciate it. it. Helps us get further up in the rankings and reach potentially new listeners. All right. So with that said, taking us out this week is our friends from Artificial Fear, and they are going to be playing us a very, very, very familiar theme, which I'm going to let you guys figure out. But I will say that if you want more of Artificial Fear's music, you can check them out on Facebook.com forward slash Artificial Fear. You can also go to their official website, ArtificialFear.com, and you can find all their links in the show notes. I will catch you guys next week. On behalf of Slick, Jay, Andrea, the Buried Boys, Ben, and the rest of the MTR staff, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you always for your continued support. I will catch you guys next week. Peace.
1: Let's get right on, folks. I'm <laughs> beyond. <laughs>